track at the wall. We are tied. Look at this. He's landed for I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, drop with a big leg. Over for the cover. He got it. Unbelievable. He got it! The starter! Mike Tyson in! Austin is the champion! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Now the 2-2. Two -two. Well hit down the left field line. Way back and Touch the ball, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome back to WWE War Wrestling Above Replacement. I am JT, and joining me, as always on this journey, is my buddy Marcus. Marcus, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great, JT. Uh, again, sorry about my sound. Uh, can't kick these uh, these allergies, man, but I'm ready to hop back into the Wayback Machine and go back to happier times. Uh, times where I could just simply uh, stay home from school if I wasn't feeling all that well and, and watch some wrestling. Yeah, it's it's been a rough uh, run here. Uh, definitely the allergies, and then a struggle, uh, but we keep on pushing through. That's what we do here in life and on the north south. And tonight on our show, Marcus, we are starting our sixth uh, season, which is exciting. Our last episode was the fifth season. We knocked out in eighty five, eighty six pretty quickly. There was only two shows, uh, but tonight we're going to start our sixth season. Here on this show, we are going through these pay-per-view seasons in WWE history, starting uh, a season starts with the first pay-per-view post-mania in a given year and ends with WrestleMania the following year. So it's really the WWE pay-per-view season when you think of it as WrestleMania being the culmination of it. We break down every pay-per-view. We do two an episode. We go uh, match by match. We get those grades. We average them out. And then we built a entire plus-minus system to uh, accurately say whether these pay-per-views are either uh, staunchly above or aggravatingly below replacement level. So if you think of something as replacement level, it's just kind of there. It just kind of exists, something that should have happened. It did happen, uh, but it wasn't extraordinary. It didn't make us get excited, or it didn't sadden us or ruin the show for us either. So if you think of a average match for me and Marcus, that's a two and a half. So anything above a two and a half would be considered above replacement uh, and then below the same. And then 
we uh, break down each pay-per-view in a series of categories as well, Marcus. You want to run through those? Absolutely. Uh, first category is build, heading into the event, followed up by commentary of the event, then the atmosphere of the show itself, notable moments and importance of the show, our match grades, the card structure, the rewatchability of the show, and all-time matches. And for us, an all-time match is anything that registers at four and a quarter or above. Or, on the minus side, anything that is below a point seven five. All right, very good. So we'll do uh, plus minus for each of those categories. We'll net them all out. That'll give us a total war score for every pay-per-view. And then we are stack ranking all of the pay-per-views individually. And then at the end of the season, we're doing, uh, doing awards for the season and then ranking the actual pay-per-view year. So as we said, this is our sixth one. Uh, we've done five so far. Our best season by an average score of total war was 2018-2019 NXT. Our worst was the one we just covered, 1985-86. Uh, we've covered three in between. That was 99-2000 as in second place right now. 11-12 was in third place. 94-95 in fourth place. And tonight we kick off our sixth season, and that is 2004-2005. So, you know, we're trying to jump around a little bit here. If you can notice the pattern, try not to stay in this in the same era too much. This is one I've been looking forward to doing. Mm-hmm. I was very dialed into this time period uh, watching live. I was uh, living and working in Connecticut. Didn't have a, a ton, uh, much of a social life. I was, I was working a lot. My wife and I were still fairly new. They were, you know, about a year and a half in or so in, in early 04. Had some friends, uh, wrestling base, obviously Scott and Dr. G and Mark Claire. Uh, so we spent a lot of time just watching wrestling and reading about wrestling and Scott and I were on the verge of starting our written reviews for the first time around this time. So uh, we had a lot going on during this era. And again, it was very dialed in. We had gone to WrestleMania 20 live. So it was just very in the, in the pulse of both online wrestling, talking about it with friends and watching, uh, consuming pretty much all of the TV that was offered. I'd even, at this point, uh, ordered a couple of TNA pay-per-views every now and then if they piqued my interest. So yeah, I would say this is one of those time stretches I was actually really, really engaged with what was going on. Um, not so much beyond ODF and, and a little bit of TNA, but at least in this world, I was, I was pretty dialed in. Yeah, this middle part of the decade is... Like a sneaky hot period, I think, for wrestling. Like the indies are jumping off. You got TNA jumping off. Uh, WWE is is picking up, and you know they're gonna kind of change course a little bit. Coming off the heels of WrestleMania 20, it seems like we're gonna have like this, I guess, start of a new era. A little bit more like central centralized on work rate. You know, 20 closing with uh, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero holding the belts. So uh, a lot of excitement heading into the start of this season. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, and there was definitely a lot of excitement. I mean, <clears throat> I guess we'll we we talked about Benoit a little bit, 99-2000. So I mean, I don't think we need to go through it all again. But obviously, um, there's the caveats that come with it, right? Not aggrandizing him as a person or commenting on that. So we're going to factor in, I guess, accordingly, right? How some of this played out and, and felt, but. In the time period in 04, like this is pretty exciting if you were finally waiting for these dudes to break through. The mm-hmm. Benoit Guerrero, uh, you know, bust through the glass ceiling had really been something we had been all, you know, a lot of us have been waiting for. It was chomping at the bit. It was like, when are they finally going to do it? It felt like they weren't ever going to do it. And then all of a sudden, in late 03, you could feel it coming. Uh, and then we were at WrestleMania 10 and MSG with them finally giving Benoit 
in Eddie the moment. What I think will be interesting now, we're not going to see the climb in this season. I think what will be interesting for you and I will be following like how quickly does the descent happen for these dudes? And right. um, were they ever presented in a way to be carrying the brand or did they feel like world champions? Uh, or was it just, you know, just a, right. A carrot for the fans that had been begging and crying for for years and giving us a cool moment at WrestleMania, but then kind of back to normal after. So uh, I think it's also an interesting time because to me, I've always, I've always thought of Oh four and really, you know, starting in mid Oh three into Oh four, the first, purge a post attitude era so like you know if you kind of think to me like the way i've always viewed is the the nominal peak of their maybe not attitude but the peak of their golden era of their launch you know of their biggest time period ended at wrestlemania 19 rock's gone pretty much austin's gone you know foley's gone like you know, angles yeah. banged up so you kind of it felt like we're starting to get some new blood right they do the brand split with the pay-per-views john cena's making his ascent batista's on the scene so it feels like that's always been like the okay we're, we're kind of edging toward the new generation so oh four i think is an interesting year when you think of it from um a lot of new faces a lot of new characters how do they integrate with some of the stars that are still there and who becomes the top guys and uh and, and ladies as we move forward so i think oh four oh five is a pretty pivotal year yeah and i couldn't help but to think about uh our buddy jake over on the Ruthlessly Aggressive Pod mm-hmm. covering, uh, you know, this pretty much the season before this season um, yes. right now into 03. And uh, not too many episodes ago, it was Hogan coming back, Austin coming back. Rock is in the middle of his Hollywood Rock run. Um, Undertaker's coming back from injury. Triple H is starting his reign of terror. Like, uh, a lot of those stars uh, from the Attitude Era, like, come back kind of for one final run or uh, kind of holding holding down the fort uh, while they try to get these other kids caught up to speed. Uh, right. So I think coming into this season, um, like you said, like we're losing a lot of those stars, uh, kind of a purge, like you said. But I'm really interested in like, we kind of know who the replacements are going to be, but I'm curious in like the climb, like you said, like how do we get there? How do they hold <laughs> up? Um, where'd they go right? Where'd they go wrong? Who'd they miss on? Stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and it's definitely, yeah, like I said, a, definitely a year where, actually, you know, too, were you pretty dialed in on the TV at this point? Uh, yeah, I'm super dialed in during this time. Uh, this is, man, uh, like end of my eighth grade. Yeah, so like back end of my eighth grade year going into ninth grade during this season. Um, so I'm super dialed in. Um I don't really have – I think it's just pretty much me and the tool man. Um, he's like my only wrestling buddy at this time. But I think we do start to get like a, another group of friends. So like we're starting to have like parties for watching pay-per-views and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I'm super dialed into the TV. By this point, we do have cable. So I am watching Raw. I'm watching right. – always watching SmackDown. Um, but yeah, I'm super dialed in. If there is anything – wwe tna whatever like i have full access now to be able to watch it at this time yeah and i mentioned that because um i think this is actually one of those years where the tv uh holds up i I believe or at least even at the time live was was more well regarded than the pay-per-views um Mm. and a lot of that was driven by raw believe it or not which i don't think happens too often during the stretch but uh those big anchor tags with evolution and with benoit and 
Benjamin and these guys, uh, they were in Jericho and Edge, and they would do all sorts of different eight mans and six mans and tags, and they would carry a lot of the shows. Like you, we routinely, which is crazy to think, but we would re- routinely get, um, you know, thirty-five minute with commercials and entrances, but still, like that's a big chunk of TV mm-hmm. anchor matches at the ten o'clock hour, going into hour two, you'd get all of a sudden get like this thirty-minute or twenty-minute evolution versus you know friends match which was just a really cool uh something that you didn't always get uh leading up to this time period so and then smackdown the hair i think was still up and down they scuffled a bit but um there was some compelling stuff there too at times i think especially when angles back uh as office gm stuff so all right why don't we dive in let's start with backlash 2004 our first of the season we are live from the Rexall Place in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, April 18th, 2004. Uh, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler are announcers. The attendance, 13,000. Buy rate, 295,000. So this was a, a pretty infamous show. It's pretty well built and developed, of course, around Chris Benoit's homecoming. Uh, no shock there at all given he had just won the belt it's his hometown uh it was around the time too like they were filming for the dvd release i know that comes out and that heavily features like his return here he gets the key to the city and everything so mm. this was hyped up and i think one of the interesting things and we'll get to it in a minute when we get to that match but i feel like we were still as fans waiting for the shoe to drop on this title right like we thought okay at wrestlemania they're gonna screw him they're never gonna do it triple h is gonna go over and continue the reign of terror uh and then you know whoever moves on to whoever but i i feel like it still wasn't believed yet that he was going to to win and then he finally did and then the next fear point came like okay well he won but now they're gonna screw him in his hometown because that's what they do and they're mm-hmm. gonna have him lose in edmonton triple h is gonna get his belt back and then back to normal so i remember some angst for sure coming into the show yeah and especially since like they just run back uh the main event you know fitting for the event title backlash but um yeah very much it was in the air at the time like triple h is going to get his belt back he's going to get his win back as well like um we'd been beaten over the head uh you know traumatized might even be (laughs) a, a appropriate but strong word um with you know triple h being the champ on raw so yeah we're kind of we are waiting for that shoe to drop um but in the meantime like i think tv was refreshing it was nice uh, to have a different champion, to have a different star of the show. Um, and we got a whole event kind of built around that. Yes. All right, our opening match is Shelton Benjamin defeating Ric Flair just under 10 minutes. Benjamin had just gone solo in the draft uh, right right around WrestleMania time. So this was really his big breakout period. Uh, he defeated Triple H, of course, on raw which was a big uh, really big moment so the draft was 322 mm-hmm. on 329 evolution beat him down and then he was given the match against triple h and uh after 20 minutes so like i said a lot of anchor matches um he gets a help from benoit and he ended up winning and defeating triple h so you could tell they were setting him up to be a, a pretty big potential up-and-coming star of raw during this year and why not put him in there with flair and let him go at it have Flair, you know, help walk him through another really good match and give him another big win. And I thought Shelton looked great here, though, flying around. I thought he outworked Flair through a lot of the match. Uh, you know, Flair worked his classic offense, of course, worked over the leg. Shelton fought through the figure four and then got the win. So I thought this was like an old school match with a hot crowd to get them going. 
I really enjoyed it. I went three and a quarter, and I thought it was a smart way to get things going and give Shelton that climbing the ladder win. Yeah, I was really impressed with the polish that Shelton already shows uh, being in there mm-hmm. with Ric Flair. Like, this easily could have went off the rails a little bit as you have a, a true styles clash. But, I mean, Flair was able to adapt. Benjamin was also able to adapt. I thought they thought they were able to blend, uh, you know, basically two different centuries of wrestling <laughs> very, yes. very well. Uh, I matched it. I went three and a quarter as well. And I'm really excited to see where Shelton goes. Uh, you know, maybe that excitement <laughs> will lead to heartache. But uh, for the time being, I'm really interested to see uh, where Shelton goes. He, he has like a, a young sting vibe to him at this time. Yes, I remember that getting a lot of play, that mm-hmm. comp, especially with him using this sticker splash. Uh, but it, it felt like at the time, like, okay, here we go. This guy's going to be the next big breakout thing for sure. Our next match, our Jonathan Coachman defeats Tajiri in six and a half minutes. I was always a heel coach, Mark. Uh, I was definitely into him quite a bit. I remember really being into him and Al Snow as a commentary team in 03. <laughs> Uh, and wanting them to take over for King and, and JR. Uh, this is definitely like my smarkiest period online, like as a fan, is this 03 to like probably 06 ish time period where mm. very like what all, all the talking points and tropes were, right? Push the young guys, big guys can't work, you know, like, like get rid of the old dude. JR doesn't, I mean, I'll stand by my JR takes, but JR, you know, <laughs> can't do it anymore. Like, this was my a very online time when it came to those talking points. But this I did. I wasn't a coach. I thought he had potential. Uh, I thought he was um, entertaining, had a great theme music. Uh, I met him at Bobby Valentine's restaurant in Stanford at the, around this time as well. So that was cool. And I always really enjoyed the build up to this match because that was my favorite raw segments ever. When Tajiri is set up by Garrison Cade in La Resistance, and they are uh, they're hazing him because he just got drafted to Raw. And they say the next guy that walks through that door, you have to spray with the mist. And in comes poor coach. And he, <laughs> the happiness in his face to see Tajiri is unmatched. He goes, Hey Tajiri, what's up, man? And he goes to high five him or to give him some dabs. And like Tajiri just spews the fucking mist in his face. He's like, Why would you do these? He's like, start freaking out. Um and like it, it's just like it was, I think it's like some of Coach's best work because he's, unless they really didn't tell him, I don't know, but, but he comes in so excited to see Tajiri, uh, and then he just gets spewed in the face. So I really like Coach during this time period. I thought he was entertaining, and I actually thought he was a fine little worker. Like, it never bugged me that they tried to make him something in the ring. I thought he worked just as like the, the goon of the show, the henchman for Bischoff, the guy that would be stuck with the heels and, and draw some extra heat on them. And then also be able to at least work enough of a match to take a beating. It channeled very much an old school territory manager, Gary, you know, poor man has Gary Hart, Cornette type guy that could get in there and then work a match to pay off a feud. So I I like this uh, enough. I went two stars. Coach to me was always entertaining. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing him kind of play out through the season. Yeah, I've got nothing but love for the coach as well. Uh, Fellow Kansas City Chiefs fan. Yeah. He's like a shockingly big dude. Uh, I think if he was around now, he'd be like getting the the, the Walter push. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he, he's he's a he's a pretty big dude. Um, you, so yeah, not surprised to see them like try to make him uh, go in the ring a little bit. And and he could he could like be okay. He wasn't gonna really embarrass himself. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so I went two and a quarter. 
I think I, I think the world of Tajiri. Um, I think he's one of like the better workers they've ever had. I might have to make some space for him on my GWWE list now that I think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great build up. Uh, just, just a nice little segment, uh, you know, to get us to this point. And I'm looking forward to more coach this season. Got nothing but love for the coach, and hopefully we see some more uh, Tajiri as well. Yeah. I always did like Tajiri a lot too. He was one of my favorites. So um, anytime I could see him, anytime I could see him uh, in action in any stretch was always exciting. So. Next, we had Chris Jericho getting a little bit of revenge over Christian and Trish Stratus. Beat them in a handicap match in 11 minutes. Payback for the heel turn at WrestleMania when Trish turned on him and joined Christian. Uh, was a much-needed move for Trish, who was, I mean, obviously hot and, and over as a face. But that heel turn is really what kind of took her next level and made her mm-hmm. eventual Hall of Famer that she'd become. Uh, let her open up her character. And as soon as that kiss and that slap happened it was like just everything switched for is perfect uh jericho actually bumped trish down and kind of shows the compassion that allowed christian to get control um and she was playing this role really really well like i said all throughout this and it helped elevate christian too for sure he needed something to really push him up as a believable singles he had had a little bit of success in 03 but then his best work came again as a tag team at jericho so this helped him feel like more of a real deal when he was put with her and he got the haircut and all that um and it was a nice win for jericho you know he needed it so i thought that was a good way to go about it without him beating christian completely clean in a match he at least gets win over them in a handicap here so it's you if you want to move on you can but if you want an explanation to get another rematch you can as well i think the match itself in ring was on par probably with mania uh, but it didn't quite have the the heat in the moment of the Mania match. So mm. I think grade-wise, it's probably significantly down. Like, I'm guessing, I think the Mania match, I'm more like three and three quarters, maybe or so. Uh, maybe closer to four, if not four. This one, I'm at three and a quarter. So I think in-ring work, it's fine. It's just missing the everything that goes with it. Yeah, great natural progression. Uh, just logical advancement of the storyline. Trish has like been unlocked as a heel. I don't think it's any accident that Christian happens to be associated with this as I think Christian is like the skeleton key of professional wrestling. I, I think that he unlocks so many people uh, to reach their utmost potential. Uh, and he doesn't get enough credit for it. And I think this is another example and it's great booking to see all these characters put together. Like we've seen Trish dominate the women's division, but now like, we really haven't seen her as a upper like almost I don't say main event but like a upper mid card act by herself especially as a heel we haven't seen right. it yet um Jericho you know the undisputed title reign that's long gone um he's kind of like proved that he can do it but he's still working to get himself back there and you've got Christian uh who I'm really interested to see this season again always love christian but mm-hmm. we've been there done that with the intercontinental title the european title the tag titles we've done it all multiple times and can this guy reach the next level and i think this feud is a great starting point uh to point upwards for him like i loved everything about this i went three and a quarter as well excited for when we do do 0304 because Man, that match is one of those matches where, like, I could go 
basement like three and three quarters, or I could go like four and yeah. a quarter. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. great match, and and the moment and the heat and everything with it too is great. Yeah. All right, excited. we have uh, some women's. Yes, I'm sorry. Good. No, just excited to see everybody moving forward this season. All right, we get some women's action next. Is Victoria knocks off Lita to retain her title that she won back at Mania in a singles match? She goes seven minutes. That was fine. I mean, I think Lita has always been fairly limited uh, in the ring, and of course, really have been focusing more. Um, a lot of the prom panties kind of stuff for a while too. started to pick up a little bit later, but it's really this year where she kind of gets back in the groove in the ring. She of course had the neck injury and all that as well. So um, it, to me, it's more late Oh four when they really start to showcase her on her and heel Trish, that things really start to pick up and she gets to get in a groove. Uh, this is fine. They just never really get the pace going. Molly, Holly and Gail Kim attack after the bell. They're definitely mixing up at least the division a bit. We're getting some different faces in there. And it seems like you don't have like a go-to ace right now. So I think Victoria's doing a good job of steadying the ship. I went one and three quarters. I, I tried it. I just find Lita, especially um, just in a standard match like this, where where it's lacking like kind of the big crowd investment in heat, like something we'll get like at the end of the year, or Trish or even way ago with Stephanie, stuff like that, had had the crowd into it. This was just kind of there. And when she has to have this kind of match, I find her a little bit more disjointed and sloppy. So I went one and three quarters. I, I thought it was fine, but didn't really connect. Yeah, I was underwhelmed by Lita here. Yeah, you know, coming off the injury and everything like that. Uh, I understand she's working herself uh, back up into into playing shape, if you will, uh, into 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 the form that she was uh, pre-injury. But I think very highly of Victoria. I think she's one of the. I don't know how to say this without it being an insult, but like she was instantly competent in the ring at a mm-hmm. time where that was sorely missing. Uh, amongst the women uh, she stepped up and I don't I can't think of a match where Victoria like ever embarrassed herself or her opponent uh, I thought everything yep. she does mostly always looks snug uh, and really good so uh, for me I went two and a half but that's really on the back of Victoria um, I thought she dragged this match uh, at least to where it didn't take away from the card for me right okay up next, we have uh, pretty much the match the show is remembered for. It is the classic between Randy Orton and Cactus Jack for the hardcore match uh, for the hardcore match for the Intercontinental title. It is a hardcore match. Evolution bang from banned from ringside. I was really curious how I felt that this match would hold up, and uh, I can say that I felt that it held up very well. Uh, I had it just under five stars at four and three quarters. I have it as uh, likely. Well, probably not McAvoy's best OW match ever, but it's it's up there in the top handful. <clears throat> he looked awesome, like in awesome shape. He had come back for the match at WrestleMania with the Rocket Sock Connection, which is another match I really, really like a lot. And this was the uh, one of the first really big moments for Randy Orton's career and adding legitimacy to him as a worker because he was still kind of a, a pretty boy dude coming into this. He hadn't really had like one of these violent, type of hardcore matches or done anything too crazy as far as bumps. So all of a sudden he's out here and he's just getting put through the paces by Foley <clears throat> thumbtacks and tables and chairs and, you know, barbed wire and big, big barreling shot after big barreling shot. Uh, it's definitely an all time great. I don't know. This, this watch, I just came up a little short of the five. I think maybe the back end, they kind of tightened up a little bit to get there, but it's close. It's as close as it gets. Uh, I've always loved this match. I was so happy to see that it did hold up. And the crowd is super into it. 
Jared King, I thought, were really good during it. And I, it's up there for sure. It's the greatest study hardcore match of all time. Star maker for Randy Orton. Uh, absolutely star maker. And just an, a, an amazing match on Foley's legacy when you look at stuff like GWE, which is becomes mm-hmm. a nitpick game, right? Like, where does he finish? Matches like this help him. Like, without this match, his case is definitely not as strong. So uh, a big match for his legacy and a big match for Orton at the time to elevate himself to the next level. Foley's another guy, I think, in that skeleton key conversation with Christian. Uh, it seems like when Foley is is motivated and locked in and he has, like, a mission in front of him, more times than not, it is completed to the utmost. And that's another example here. We've seen Randy Orton be hurt before, um, if, you know, lack of a better phrase, injury-prone, mm-hmm. whether it's an ankle, it's a shoulder, whatever. Uh, but on screen, we visually haven't seen him be tough. And he's been on and off TV for two years now, give or take. Uh, but more important than that, uh, in the build-up to this, we've seen Randy Orton just be a complete dick, right? And it's important for him to get his comeuppance. And that's what this match really is. It's it's him getting his comeuppance for spitting in Foley's face, pushing him down the stairs, disrespecting the legends, getting the win at WrestleMania, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get Orton getting his comeuppance, which is beautiful. But then he also wins. Uh, so we see him get his comeuppance, but we also see him be tough and he powers through and he picks up the win. And when he picks up the win, whether they mean it or not, you have maybe an unwanted baby face on your hands now and going where we're going this season. I'm not surprised that we get there as quickly as we do. And it feels at least again, like me being kind of smarky at the time. Uh, it felt to me like they were <laughs> swimming against the the current, uh, trying to keep Orton heel after this matchup. But for the time and for the place, I went five stars, and I think part of that is the follow up. Like comparing this to our NXT season, mm-hmm. we had a ton of great matches, four and a quarter all over the place, four and a half, whatever. Uh, but what was the follow-up, right? Like, in the end, a lot of those matches to me were just great matches. And sure, right. there's there's a time and place for that. But, like, this match historically matters. Like, I can say if this match does not happen, mm-hmm. Randy Orton may not be the superstar that he is today. Uh, right. Mick Foley may not have his best WWE match uh, ever if this match doesn't take place. So I think it's, it's highly consequential. It's historic. Uh, it's a, a rare example of, like... A storyline starting, having a, a clear middle, having ups and downs, and then having a well-booked finish and, and reaching its end. And everybody is better off for it in the end. So for all those reasons, I went a full five. All right. Up next, we have Hurricane and Rosie against La Resistance in a tag match. Uh, five minutes. N- not much doing here. Really just a cooler 100% cooler match just to fill time. Showcase a new member of the Raw roster, and that is Eugene. Uh, we're talking about him quite a bit. Uh, pretty risky character, interesting character. They had to really be careful, I guess, with this portrayal. I will say, looking back over some of the stuff I've watched so far, it does not hold up. Uh, in the time, I, I guess I kind of liked it. Um, you know, the original concept, him being a savant, kind of mimicking the moves he had seen in the past. But once they had to really dig in and add some depth to it, it was obvious that you had to go one way or the other, and they kind of end up playing the middle and not doing either. Um, 
And they also end up using it at a, at a level he really should not be used at. But we'll mm. we'll cover that more in future episodes. For this one, he just kind of comes out and and futzes around. This match really, you know, the guys are working hard, but the crowd was just kind of baked from the last match. You got Eugene running around like Doink in '92 and around the ringside, so it was it was kind of whatever. Um, palate cleanser completely. So I, I went one and a half. Uh, I can say with all confidence, like this is a match I never want to see again as long as I live. <laughs> um, I gave it, uh, our, I guess our highest threshold for being a, uh, a really bad mm-hmm. match. I went, I went three and a quarter or uh, a quarter, three quarters on it. I went point uh, seven five. Uh, yeah, I thought this was really rough. Hurricane's always a hard worker. Uh, I thought a lot of law resistance at the time, and I think this might be a reckoning for me. Like, oh man, uh, maybe they weren't as good in retrospect as I thought they were at the time. Uh, so yeah, this this was not a good effort to me. Yeah, no, that one we're gonna rush back to. All right, our next to last match, we have Edge defeating Kane in six minutes. This is Edge's return match from the injury that took him out for over a year with the uh, busted neck. So he's definitely a lot of rust. You could you could feel it. His last action before this was February 03. So it had been a while. He came back the night after Raw. He was shredded and ripped, uh, but all that weightlifting could not keep him healthy. He immediately broke his hand upon returning. So he's got a cast on here. Uh, so they do the old Bob Orton, you know, trying to use the cast throughout the match and having a band, etc. Pretty basic match. It's really just Kane working the arm and Edge ended up stealing the win with the cast anyway behind the ref. Um, first pay-per-view win since Armageddon in 2002 for Edge. Wow. And again, it was fine, but it, this was about just get Edge getting the rust off and establishing he was back. And Kane's on a slide. I mean, he had the the, the loss at Mania to Taker and now here. So. Yeah, Kane's on a slide, but if you need just like somebody to like get back on track and you just need like a, a easy hit, um, Kane's a pretty decent guy for that, um, especially with like Edge. You need somebody who's like not going to hurt Edge, uh, as he's pretty much in bubble wrap at this time, and a simple story to tell. Uh, and they kind of try to tell two different stories here with like the the size difference, but also with Edge being hurt as well. So I went two and a quarter. Um, not an abomination by any stretch, but mm-hmm. you'd hope for a little bit more. And I think them working like with the injury, um, I think that's what like brought it down just a little bit for me i thought you know right. i don't have a desire really to see kane try to arn anderson his way through a through a match main event time like i mentioned earlier is a rematch from wrestlemania it's benoit michaels and triple h P- pretty much um i don't want to call it a rinse repeat they do mix some stuff up but it was very much similar to their match of mania as far as pacing goes and the trading of offense and the back and forth. Uh, Benoit takes a really good beating here, just as he did at Mania. Hunter does get the pedigree off, but this time it's on Benoit with Michaels making the save, not the other way around. The crowd definitely tensed up toward that. Uh, but Benoit ends up forcing Shawn Michaels to tap out, this time to the sharpshooter. Uh, so that, of course, plays off the Canadian ties. Shawn submitting the sharpshooter. And this time he beats Shawn clean after having Hunter clean. Uh, at Mania, so pretty big back-to-back months of Benoit. The fears are assuaged. He does not lose right away. He does leave Edmonton as champion, tapping out Shawn Michaels clean. Uh, I thought again, slight notch below Mania. Um, 
which was carried a lot by the moment and the crowd, et cetera, and it would have meant for Benoit to be there. But just as important to see him win his first big title defense and roll on. It felt like at this point it feels like, okay, they're going to do him right right now by having him win this again and, and win in his hometown. So I went four and a quarter. Uh, I believe I'm at five, I think, on the main event at Mania, if not four and three quarters. But uh, So a step below, definitely, thanks to some of the different crowd dynamics um, and the stakes in the match, but still, still really, really, really good. Just a little bit lower than you. Uh, this is four for me. Uh, I probably prefer this match to the WrestleMania match because mm. you have the dynamics of them playing to where they're at, which is being in Canada, right. uh, where Shawn Michaels is a heel uh, no matter where they are. I mean, they're on the complete other side of the of the country, um, but you know he's still a heel. So uh, I I, pre- I preferred this. I, I really like Shawn being the main antagonist uh, of the match. Uh, I like Benoit being the champion, but still, you know, fighting the odds. Uh, he felt less plucky here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as opposed to the WrestleMania match where he definitely feels like the third in the match. Um, instead, Benoit is the star of the match. Um, you know, I thought Triple H played his role pretty well, uh, which is something we may not always get in 2004. <laughs> so yeah, four stars for me, uh, really fine main event. And, uh, I liked this, that they actually, uh, paid off where they are. It mattered. The location mattered. You know, Benoit kind of wrestled like he was a 99 overall uh, because right. of that extra hometown uh, advantage. So uh, a cool moment. And, uh, you know, just cool to see them do that at the time because it's, you know, they're, they would usually pull the, pull the rug out from us uh, and not give us that happy moment that we'd paid for. All right. So that'll do it for the card itself. If uh, you take all those grades that we just went through, so you take Marcus's grade, you take my grade, you average it out. So let's say, for instance, that main event averaged out to 4.125. You round that up to four and a quarter. And then its war would be its plus or minus from two and a half. So from two and a half to four and a quarter is 1.75. That's the war for the match. Do that for every match, total them up, and we get a total score of 3.75 for the matches, which is pretty good, actually. Um, you know, it, it's not a standout, but it's it's really solid to be up in the positives. So a uh, good little in-ring show here for Backlash. Solid in-ring show. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasant surprise. All right, let's get to our categories, see where we stand. Uh, for build, we gave one point for Benoit's journey and payoff, getting the key to the city in his hometown. Uh, a point for Shelton Benjamin's big face solo push with the win over Triple H. Uh, of course, a point for Tajerian Coach with the mist. Love it. Two points for the Love Triangle build, which has been intricate and drawn out between Jericho, Christian, and Trish. So that's a really good deep story coming in that had started in December. Uh, the tremendous build of the legend killer Randy Orton. Uh, the uh, build for the hot feud between Foley and Orton. A point for the heat up of Edge and Kane, which I thought was done pretty well over those three weeks despite uh, Edge's injury. And then we give another point for Benoit um, you know, coming in as crown of champ to the actual show, not just journey to it here. So the actual arrival. So that's all the positives. What do you got for the minuses? A uh, bit of a lazy build for the main event, just straight uh, following up the WrestleMania main event, uh, lazy battle Royal for the women's title match uh, to get to uh, Lita being the number one contender. Tag team filler match was really made more for uh, Sunday night heat. and <laughs> didn't really belong on the card. Uh, and that the whole tag division is just in a state of flux and overall mess. Uh, Edge returns and immediately gets hurt. Um, again, uh, the kind of the lazy main event and uh, just a rematch with no real reason why. Right. 
All right, so that nets out two four for build. Commentary, we gave a point for getting, getting the focus over on Shelton and the young versus veteran story. A point for JR's uh, good work in the women's match, trying to get over the approving division. Give a point to the King. He did a nice job selling the horror of the match between uh, Orton and Foley, grilling uh, JR about buying Orton stock after this match. Uh, just a good job by King to really get Randy Orton over during that. Mm-hmm. Uh, point for JR getting over Cactus Jack's whole story and, and to the you know, road to this point. And then a point for uh, presenting Shawn Michaels as a regional heel, which is something they ignore at times and just kind of or just blame it on Bizarro World or whatever else. But he actually took the time to explain why he's a heel here versus elsewhere. So yeah. I thought that was pretty well done. Yep. Uh, let's get into the minuses. We got Creepy King arriving for Tristratus. King uh, obsessed with the thong talk with Lita. King King's take on special Eugene. Uh, King gets stuck on weird ball, <laughs> weird ball busting, uh, saying Jr. told Edge to fake his hand injury. Uh, they kind of just like so work themselves into circles around there, like they had oh, no payoff. Oh my god, it was so uh, boring. That six minutes was the match was definitely hurt by that. It was like he just kept saying, "Oh well, yeah, you told him to fake that hand injury during the interview." It was just it was just an odd approach. It just made no yeah. sense. And he just gets completely stuck in it. Yeah, stuck. That's the right word. Yeah, they're just stuck. They can't get past it. Uh, <laughs> the crowd was also stuck during the match uh, as they were really booing Edge and Kane uh, and chance of uh, you screwed Brett, you screwed Brett at a uh, baby Earl Hebner. All right, so that nets out to a zero. So commentary is a wash here. Uh, so not a make, not a break. For atmosphere, we gave a point for the pop and entrance of Ric Flair, which the crowd was super into him. A point for heel Trish, who just had an awesome presence. A point for Jericho's pop when he won. Uh, a point for the molten crowd, all for Cactus and Orin. Uh, a point for the heat on Bischoff when he stopped the fire barbed wire bat. That was really well done during that match. Uh, a point for the intense main event entrances. You can feel the nerves in the arena when Triple H comes out. Uh, mm-hmm. A point for the massive pop for Chris Benoit's entrance. And then the point for you screwed Brett as Sean looks out at the crowd, uh, which was well done. So a pretty good atmosphere here in Edmonton on this night. Uh, yeah, let's check out the minuses. Uh, crowd is pretty silent for the uh, coach and Tajiri match. Felt bad for those guys. Uh, the crowd gets bored during the women's match. And, of course, the you screwed Brett chants, which are uh, plenty to be found on this night. Agreed. All right, so that nets out to a five. So good night of atmosphere. Notable moments and importance. We gave a point for Shelton Benjamin's big win over Ric Flair and continue his push. A point for uh, the good post-match attack by Molly Holly and Gail Kim to show the depth of the women's division. A point for Mick Foley coming out as Cactus Jack. That was really well done. A point for Randy Orton's sick blade job. A point for Orton's thumbtack bath. And the point for Orton earning his credit with the vicious beating. Gets a seal of approval from Hunter. It felt very much, uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but it definitely felt very much in the uh, line of Royal Rumble 2000, right? Where Hunter got made in a very similar match by Mick Foley, and that carries over here as well. A point for Benoit winning his homecoming match as champion. A point for the Montreal Tees with Sean with the sharpshooter and Earl Hebner running out. And then a point for Benoit uh, getting Michaels to tap out a month after he tapped Triple H. So just piling those on top of each other. So a lot of good moments on this show. And let's check out the minuses. Uh, Coach dominating, beating Tajiri. <laughs> That's not needed as Tajiri is a, an actual active full-time wrestler. Eugene creeping in the women's locker room. Eugene wandering or wandering around lost at ringside. Uh, just not a great portrayal of him. Uh, Edge big return is a giant fart bomb. Uh, he's lost all momentum uh, before he even really hits the ground. 
and Sean putting the sharpshooter on wrong again. <laughs> all right, that's a four for noble moments. Uh, we for the greatest wrestler of all time, he certainly doesn't know how to do a pretty standard hold. That'll do. Uh, all right, 3.75 for match grades. Card structure, we gave a point for opening with flair. Great way to get the crowd engaged. Uh, a point for giving Orton and, and Cactus kind of a, slap, a slot to uh, get the crowd heated, but not overwhelm Benoit's homecoming. So we felt that they really positioned that match well in the card to have a couple after it still. And then uh, a point with Benoit retaining to close the show. So pretty good structuring of the card here. All right. And for the minuses, having Coach work holds and grind down uh, a match in the, in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, like, uh, was counterproductive to the hot start the show got off to. Uh, so that wasn't uh, really needed uh, or at least not placed correctly. And, um, you know, Coach would really be hitting a tag match, I think. Like, I'm all for him working uh, and becoming, like, an in-ring character, you know, kind of along the lines of, like, a Danny Davis. But, uh, you know, why not have him with, you know, Garrison Cade? Uh, you know, why not take that terrible <laughs> tag match and make that a six-man match? Um, you know, do do something along those lines. But, yeah, find find something else for, for Coach to do other than trying to work a, work a hold for six minutes. All right, so that was a net of two for car structure. For rewatchability, we just gave a plus one on Orton selling and near-death experience. Uh, no minuses. And then all-time matches, of course, we give a point for Cactus Jack and Randy Orton. Uh, no negatives. And that nets us out to a total war for Backlash 04 of 20.75. So pretty good score, um, Marcus. That puts it right outside the top ten for us Wow. on our total ranking. So, you know, and as we'll see in a minute, ahead of a, a couple of NXT shows. So, you know, it, it sounds like we're on the same page. Like, there's some pretty good in-ring action, uh, some pretty good moments, and nothing really bad that really dragged the car down. I think that's what helped it quite a bit. Yeah, we're seeing the strength of replacement level, right? Like, the the two and a half, it can it can work for you, it can work against you, but I think in, in this case, it worked for the show as a whole. Um, you know, there wasn't really a ton to take away from the quality of the event, so... Uh, we're seeing the right. power of replacement level uh, also being helped out by an all-time match and a really good main event, which was right on the cusp of being a uh, all-timer for us. What also doesn't stink is the North-South Connection Podcast Network. We have great content coming at you each and every day, running the gamut of professional wrestling and beyond. We have current uh, wrestling coverage. We have evergreen wrestling coverage. We have content that if you're a wrestling nerd you'd like, if you're kind of more on a surface level and just looking back nostalgically, the stuff you'll like. Uh, if you want the latest news from AEW or from WWE, we have every uh, every Friday we have a show covering uh, one of those promotions, so that you, that'll come at you. It's exciting there, and just some you know intense solo content from Aaron George with the wrestler that was every other Monday. Really, our prestige audio here on the network, and just super proud of all the uh, content that everyone continues to churn out on this feed. Uh, Marcus, anything you want to head on? Uh, yeah, you can head on over to the soon-to-be-named network, and you can listen to myself and our very own Not the Tool Man, Tim Taylor. We do a podcast called uh, Final Wrestling Place, where we take the now's professional wrestling, we assign them arbitrary red points and green points, and we put them into either the good place or the bad place. And also, we do Viewer's Choice right here on a North-South Connection uh, after every major WWE and AEW premium live event slash pay-per-view. Uh, we watch it so that you don't have to, uh, or even if you want to, uh, you know, we just kind of quickly digest a card and tell you what to watch and what to skip, uh, in our opinion. 
All right, check out all that great content right here on North Star Connection Podcast Network and uh, soon to be named network as well with Final Wrestling Place. All right, Marcus, let's head over to our second show. Judgment Day 2004. So this is a SmackDown-only offering. Let's go, baby. You from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, May 16th, 18,722 in attendance, 235 uh, buy, uh, buys, 235,000. Michael Cole and the Taz in the booth. And we have a pretty big card. And it was an interesting one to check out because this was one, I believe, that's kind of always been a little maligned, at least during this time period, the SmackDown shows. The undercard can be lacking a bit as they were trying to refill after, I don't call it the purge, but the reckoning that came over the last year or so. Um, there, The SmackDown side of things definitely, uh, from a name value standpoint, was starting to uh, lack a bit. So they were in a position where they really needed to start figuring out um, what they were going to do to fill this depth. Yeah, uh, we're definitely in the age of SmackDown makes and Raw takes. Mm-hmm. And uh, really the only bones that SmackDown gets are whatever Raw has already chewed up on and decided is trash and, and needs to be like rehabilitated. Um, and we see that, I think, pretty quickly with our opener. Yes, which is Rey Mysterio Jr. and Rob Van Dam taking on the Dudley Boys in a tag team match. So I think this is a good change of scenery for RVD. I think he had maxed out on Raw. Uh, same with the Dudleys, who needed a little bit of a shakeup. I don't know how much it ends up helping them, as we'll see as we go through the year. But uh, both all these guys had gotten pretty stale on the Raw side. I really have always been a fan of the Ray and RVD team. I thought they worked really well together. They had a good vibe. I thought it was a good way to keep RVD relevant again after they kind of start and started a couple of pushes with him. Um, and I thought the match itself was was a pretty strong choice to open too. It was fast paced. Um, it was uh, it was hot. RVD gets the pinfall win, which makes him feel even more reinvigorated throughout this. And a guy like Ray can also work both levels, right? He can work as cruiserweight and also then come up to face the big boys as part of this tag team. So uh, this is a pretty good idea to put these guys together. I think this is a nice choice to start the show. You knew that RVD and Ray would be a good choice to get things going, get the crowd into it. And the Dudleys, even when their heels are still uh, engageable with the crowd. So um, again, good choice to open. I ended up going three and a quarter and I uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, this was a nice surprise. Uh, I, I look at like 2004 Dudley boys and I kind of go, Oh boy. All right. Like, here mm-hmm. we go. Um, that's just in my brain. So I was really surprised to see <laughs> this little banger. Um, you know, Dudley boys coming off of a not so great run on raw. I think they kind of maxed out what they can do. Um, they're also like the only team left of the, uh, you know, the big, I guess the big four, you know, acolytes are broken up. Um, Edge and Christian are broken up. Hardy boys broken up. So Dudley boys have stuck around. They've done all that they can do. Um, but Mysterio and Van Dam are a fresh team. Mm-hmm. It gives something different for Ray to do as he'd really maxed out the cruiserweight title. I believe, uh, been there, done that a bunch of times. RVD, I think, should have been world champion on Raw. <laughs> By this time, he should probably be like a two-time world champ. Uh, I think there's a case for him in 01 and also in 03, 04, uh, somewhere around there on Raw. Or uh, 02, excuse me, uh, going up against Triple H. Uh, 
So he's being kind of rehabbed here. I think this tag team's a great way to do it. We'd seen RVD and Kane in the previous season, uh, and you know, as Jake has covered over on Ruthlessly Aggressive. Uh, and that's like a big man, little man tag team. Mysterio yes. and Van Dam. Ray gets to play up, but he's also like the greatest little man of all time. So he's always going to be that. Um, but he's not facing cruiserweights, so we get different dynamics there. And that allows Van Dam to be more of a bruiser uh, and more of like reliant on the strikes and, and really bringing the power in that kind of way. Uh, as opposed to him being the little man of a team where he's doing, you know, all the flying around. Uh, instead, like Van Dam's flying around is like more surprising and a little bit more impactful uh, just because of the power that he brings behind it. Uh, so, yeah, I went three and a quarter. This was a really refreshing tag match and a nice way to start uh, start the show. All right. We get a little bit of a shenanigans with our new general manager, Kurt Angle. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And then we go to the ring as Troy Wilson takes on Don Marie. Uh, surprisingly enough, given the history, like you meant, just talked about with this aggressive podcast, Jake has covered this in depth. There's really no history to this piece of the feud here. Like they had been done feuding since early 03. No mention of Al Wilson at all in this. It is just a match made by an angry GM who puts Troy Wilson's career on the line prior to it. So it's just like an angry Kurt Angle. It's a standard match. It was just kind of whatever. Um, Dawn's pants ripped during the brawling, so we do get a shot there, which looked good. Uh, and Tori went to keep her career alive. So just kind of whatever. I went 1.75 on this, one and three quarters. And I think one of the big things that sticks out for sure during this stretch is how much more uh, time and effort and talent levels pieced to the women's division on Raw versus SmackDown. SmackDown definitely mm-hmm. ends up becoming much more of the TNA wrestling stuff. And not, not, not total lots of action, other TNA. Yeah, not something you really associate with SmackDown as they had the reputation of being the wrestling brand. Uh, I went to, these two have good enough chemistry to mm-hmm. you know, be able to get through like a decent passable match for the time. So didn't expose the business or anything like that. Where they didn't mention, you know, like... Don Marie stealing Tori Wilson's dad uh, or anything like that, really. Um, but yeah, two for me. Uh, fine enough to keep the show going. All right. Well, we keep it going with another match between Scotty Too Hotty, who, yes, is still around here. Uh, on Mordecai, developmental wrestler Kevin Fertig, who had just come up and started playing this role, did a lot of vignettes. He's basically just decked out in all white. Even his hair and his uh, goatee are dyed white. And he's portraying, I guess, like a angel of God kind of thing, right? Where he's been chosen uh, by God himself to kind of eradicate everything poor out here. So he comes out with a crucifix. Uh, it was an interesting character. I remember being pretty intrigued by it at the time. Uh, once the bell rings, that was a bit of a different story. Ends up be- basically being really a, a squash. Uh, Rikishi's gone by this point, so Scotty really is just a, a job of the star. Uh, they had been recently tag team champions, but that ended. Mordecai was fine. It was hard hitting. It was it was it was kind of rugged. Really threw him around, and then a pretty good finish as well. So I thought Mordecai did a fine job, establishing establishing his uh, attitude, his mindset, his move set, uh, and picks up a clean win over Scotty on pay per view. I think just because the rest of the card is a little soft, it makes it stand out more. Whereas if this was like the only match of its type, maybe it doesn't feel as. Uh, much of a drag on the card, but I ended up going one and a half. I, I thought it was a fine, basically a squash. Yeah, I mean, this is a squash through and through. Uh, there was like something off about this match, 
And I've seen enough Scotty to hottie matches in my lifetime to know <laughs> if something's off, it's not him. Um, so yeah, something's missing with this Mordecai character presentation, uh, in ring ability. Like something's just off. Uh, he's a big dude. Uh, you know, he definitely catches your eye. So I can see why they want to give him a shot. But uh, yeah, something's missing. I don't know what it is. Like he feels like a creative player from like the previous year of SmackDown, which is really like two years ago SmackDown, like a video game. Like he just feels I don't know, like somehow outdated, but it's a fresh idea. Um, yeah, I don't know. Feel like New Yankee Stadium. Like as soon as it was built, it already felt dated. Like. I, I yeah, I don't know how to explain it. He's just something's off. Um, something's not right. Uh, I went one and a half as well. All right. Uh, odd tag team match next with an odd tag team title situation. As Charlie Haas and Rico, our new champions, who defeated Rikishi and Scotty on SmackDown, challenged by Billy Gunn and Bob Holly. So, uh, kind of this throwback Attitude Era, you know, angry veteran tag team thrown together to see if they can come come together and, and win the tag belts and they don't actually um i actually like the finish here i thought rico and hosh showed some decent teamwork and i thought the crowd was into it uh both teams played their roles you could tell they were gelling a bit they delivered a pretty fun little match so i, I we, you know, and we all know like hosh can work rico too just when he's in this gimmick where he's really pushing the envelope now with the gorgeous george type thing doesn't allow the work to really speak for itself as much and we know holly and, and gun can work solid tag action right i mean that's that's kind of their calling card and they're not that far removed from it so weird tag division i went two stars on the match and to me that was an actual over deliver yeah, I'm a little bit higher than you. I went two and a half uh, for all the same reasons, though. Uh, I think you've just got a match full of professionals. Uh, you know, problematic dynamic aside uh, with the presentation and treatment of Rico. Uh, if you just look at this match as we want one guy in the ring and don't want the other guy to get the tag, like mm-hmm. I thought this was actually a really good tag match. Um, so, yeah, I, I went two and a half. Um. You know, I wish some things about this match were different. And, of course, this match would not fly by today's standards. Um, right. But, you know, given that, I thought for the time, like, this was a really entertaining match. Um, yeah, two and a half. And I wouldn't be mad if I saw more Hardcore Holly and Billy Gunn. Um, and no, I'm I fine. I'm fine with it. This <laughs> is evidenced by a very recent episode of Now We're Entering the Rumble where we covered Bob Holly. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm Holly now. Uh, How do you like me oh. now? Oh, God. All right. We continue this uh, very interesting card as Chavo Guerrero Jr. challenges Jacqueline for the cruiserweight title on April 29th. Uh, Guerrero had issued an open challenge to anyone and beaten him yet. Jacqueline came out and actually won the belt. Uh, and then lost a non-title match to Chavo Sr., who's now going by Chavo Classic, uh, one of my favorite gimmicks of all time, Chavo Classic. Absolutely. Uh, this is Jackie's final pay-per-view appearance, actually, too. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so interesting match. And six years past her <laughs> the last heat she had on her, probably. But uh, she always could work this match. I mean, this is what she was known for in the Indies, even before she kind of broke out in WCW, when she was Miss Texas and USWA and all that. Her, the coverage around her was always... 
uh, for the for the intergender stuff, and she always fight the men. So this is right up her alley. Uh, you get the classic stuff that with senior kind of running interference the whole time uh, until he eventually is able to break his son free after getting tied to the ropes, and he cheats again and reta- regains his belt. So the brief little blip of Jacqueline's run is over. Chavo's back as champion, and uh, it was fine. Whatever, a bit a bit of a mess, but uh, I went two and two and a quarter. So. For as much as I have an aversion to Chavo Guerrero, I think this little stretch with Chavo Classic is my favorite uh, run of his. Uh, and at the end of the day, Chavo is a professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can have a very standard match. I mean, very standard match. Um, and Jacqueline is is awesome. Like, always love seeing her go up against the guys. That's her calling card, like you said. Uh so, and I liked a little bit, um, you know, we got a little bit of an angle backstage to help us get to this point. Um, so they tried adding just a little bit more, uh, a little something extra to get us invested in this match. So I went two and a half. Uh, again, replacement level. I didn't think it, it hurt the show by any stretch. Um, didn't really help the show either, but it, it was just there for me. Next up, we have John Cena, our U.S. champion, defending against Rene Dupree, formerly of La Resistance giving him a singles push. So you can see kind of along the lines of like Shelton Benjamin, they saw some promise in him as a solo act. So they split him off from the team and Cena really working his way up the ladder here in 04 as he just won the U S title at WrestleMania still very over been defending against all comers since he did win. Um, and he did a good job here carrying the match. I thought the pace was pretty good. They slowed down a bit when Dupree went to a bear hug and took over, but uh, I thought Cena worked his comebacks well. Uh, Dupree was crisp cutting them off, and then Cena went up picking up, uh, turning the tide and picking up the win with his finish. So I thought it was a good, clean pay-per-view title offense for Cena. I think Dupree showed he could hang in this kind of match, and it was probably a good idea to try and give him a solo push and see if it could resonate or go anywhere, and I'm always for them trying new things anyway. So I ended up going three and a quarter. I like this match way more than I thought I was going to. The crowd was quite into it, uh, and they just had a smooth flow between the two of them. So this is a, a neat little match. Yeah, uh, this is like letting the young bulls run wild. Um, mm-hmm. I thought both guys really brought it. Uh, it felt like there was an actual level of competition here. Um, you know, a little something extra behind the strikes, a little extra aggression. Like, this is, the, I could imagine uh, Vince McMahon, you know, sitting backstage, you know, yeah, like this is this is what <laughs> yes. he wants to see, you know, two guys really going for it. So I went three and a half. Uh, I think it was a really good way to get Cena started uh, with his title reign. Keep that going. A, a big spot for Dupree to see if he can step up uh, out of the tag team ranks and deliver as a solo guy. Uh, so I thought mission accomplished three and a half for me. All right, let's get to our top two matches here. Is The Undertaker fully in special attraction mode now, taking on Booker T and his position that way. Booker really kind of carries the feud on TV. We get all this weird shit with the fortune teller and the bag of dirt and all this other stuff, (laughs) uh, trying to kind of play mind games. But Undertaker was being positioned as a guy um, that was only going to really be like on big events or special matches. And they, they play it that way in commentary. Like we'll talk about after. So, uh, they keep calling this a rare appearance by the, by the dead man. And it's, it's pretty much what you would have expected. I, you know, I think it, it's a perfectly acceptable match. It's a fine match, an old school match, right? Basic. And sometimes that hits the spot, right? Sometimes it's fine. It's just kind of what you need. Taker wins at the tombstone. Uh, obviously the crowd was into it. They always are for, for the dead man. 
And I thought it was a fine way to, to get a setup for our main events. And Booker really worked hard to, to pull him along as well. Um, not that Taker couldn't work, but he really wasn't fully engaged in that mode yet. So I thought it felt like Booker was really trying to cut the cut the pace and, and make a name for himself here. So uh, on the SmackDown side. So I went three and a half stars. I, th- I thought it's a pretty, pretty good, surprisingly good match. Yeah, as we've seen on this card, it seems like there's a little bit of a lack of depth. Uh, mm-hmm. As we get closer to that main event scene, Undertaker is in full-on special attraction mode, like you said. So there's a spot here for Booker, you know, like, you know, you raise your game, be a be a main event guy, be somebody who can uh, be worked into that rotation. I thought he delivered. Uh, I thought he really stepped up his game. I thought he made, uh, you know, Taker probably look a lot better than what he actually is at the time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, three and a half for me, a great finish, too, um, you know. I really liked uh, how it ended. I thought the crowd did too. Um, so yeah, cool to see. All right, main event time. Uh, Eddie Guerrero taking on a very unlikely challenger in John Bradshaw Layfield, and this really came out of nowhere. Uh, APA had crossed paths with GM Paul Heyman. Heyman angrily told them if they had lost the match with Scotty Two Hiding Rikishi, they'd be fired. APA lost the match. Heyman clarified himself and said Farouk was fired because he saw promise in Bradshaw due to financial wizardry. Uh, Bradshaw didn't leave with Farouk and Farouk got pissed off. And Bradshaw said he's staying and he's not quitting on Farouk's behalf. And Farouk was disappointed and left. Um, And it was one of those interesting angles that becomes reality because Farouk ends up getting released a a couple days later after the show was taped. So it was really like an on-air firing. Um, and then pretty much immediately the next week, you have this new financial wizard gimmick, uh, John Bradshaw Layfield, and he ends up, you know, be finding himself in the unlikely position as the number one contender. I think there's a lot of back and forth on this. I've spent a lot of air air time on it as well. Like, should they have rocketed him this fast? Should he have worked toward the U.S. title maybe for a bit in 04, work his way up the ladder to get to this point? But either way, they go right into it. Uh, this match was a really good brawl. It's a vicious brawl. Uh, you could feel the hate all throughout it. They really amped this feud up pretty well coming into the show pretty quickly uh, with JBL, you know, doing the old Fritz von Eric to Eddie's mob at a house show, kind of getting her face and yelling at her. And she ended up having a heart attack. Uh, she would live, but still uh, not good. Uh, it really turned into a bloody war down the path as well. And of course, Oof. this is a very infamous match because. Uh, not only do we get the disgusting chair shot at the end, but we have the unbelievable Eddie Guerrero blade job where he just cuts a cuts an artery, blood pouring everywhere, just gushing all over the ring, covered in it. It's honestly rough to watch. It's uh, it's a real it's a real bad blade job. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's it makes you feel like you know nervous for the guy more than like oh shit for the guy. So I went four and a quarter. I, th- I think it's a great match. It holds up really well. Um, we'll look forward to the rematch to see how that does, but it was, it was a good match for Eddie as champion. Like you think, okay, JBL gets this here. Eddie will vanquish him on the next show and we'll see what happens from there. And then JBL will work is try and work back up the card. But, uh, at this point it was surprising because you know, we hadn't seen anything to this level at all out of, out of Bradshaw. No. And, you know, I guess we can talk about Bradshaw a little bit here. Uh, I remember that <laughs> SmackDown fondly. Uh, where the APA gets split up and and Farouk goes home, mm-hmm. uh, and JBL being brought back and leaning into the financial wizard gimmick, uh, I thought was really cool. And uh, we have seen him in other seasons, right, where 
yep. they want to they want to strap him up. They want to move him up. Uh, again, pointing back to Jake since he just covered uh, you know a couple seasons before this time period, 2002 on Raw. Like he's going to be one of the big guys, and he ends up getting hurt. And you know he, I don't know if he earned the title injury prone, but like whenever they were kind of going to start pushing him or move him up the card, it seemed like he got hurt. Um, so he's back. He's healthy. Like I'm in favor of moving him into the main event. Uh, there's mm-hmm. opportunity to be, to be had. I mean, he's big. He's physically imposing. Uh, he's definitely over. Like people know who he is. He's been on TV at this point for sheesh, eight years. Uh, it's been a while. So at that time, like that's, that's like somebody being on TV for 15 years now. Like that's, that's quite a stretch. Yes. Uh, pretty much uninterrupted aside from the injuries. So, you know, why not see what you got? Uh, move them up the card uh, immediately and, and you know, mm-hmm. actually do the push that's that's been planned and toyed with for the last couple of years. So <sighs> getting to the chair shot, getting to the sick blade job, an all-timer. Mm-hmm. I always thought It is that. rough to watch. It's, it's rough all, to watch. It's rough to watch and, like, not being a doctor, but like knowing that Eddie dies, you know, less than two years later, um, it's like good grief. Like I, I, I hope like we didn't witness this match, you know, playing some kind of small role uh, into his decline, uh, whether mentally, physically, whatever. Um, that said, I always thought the chair shot and the blade job came at the end of the match, but <laughs> it's like halfway through. Uh, yeah. They go on, and Eddie Eddie takes like a a full remainder of the heat. He sits in like a sleeper hold, blood gushing, um, and he hits his whole comeback. Uh, the crowd is on fire. I don't think I've ever heard an LA crowd for WWE be this electric. Yeah, um, revved up. Yeah, that yeah, uh, full ten. Like super hot finish, getting to the you know kind of the non finish. I thought like this is the way to do it. Um, I I want to see these guys go back back at it again. Um, yeah. Eddie gets his heat back. We see we see like that aggressive side of Eddie. Um, that that maniacal edge that Eddie Guerrero has. Uh, you know, to his core. You know, Eddie's not necessarily a good guy. Uh, you can laugh and, and have a good time and enjoy his antics. But, you know, Eddie Guerrero is a, a ruthless dude. Um, and we see that with him paying it back to JBL at the end. Yep. Um, I went four and three quarters. Um, yeah. I didn't think I was going to go that high watching this match. I thought, all right, this might flirt with four. Um, but this blew my expectations out of the water. And, again, just, Knowing like <laughs> they wrestle a full half match um, with that kind of blood pouring, um, it just really added to the match. I thought, which was the goal, but um, certainly over delivered. And in retrospect, like you hear that gasp from the audience when Eddie comes up from the chair shot. Yes, um, it's sick. Uh, it mm-hmm. gives me that pit of the stomach feeling every single time. And, you know, things being different, like I wish one that would never happen. But two, if it did happen, screw the match. It, you, go home right away. Uh, get this guy some help because that is bad. 
and again, you don't have to be a doctor to realize that is a bad cut. That is unlike anything we've seen on WWE television. Um, that match did not need to go on, um, but it did, and as a result, four and three quarters for me. All right, so that nets out to a total war of three for the match grades for this show. So again, pretty pretty solid. Maybe a little bit better than you'd expect if you looked at the card on paper. Uh, let's get to our categories and see where it washes. For build, we gave a point for the Dudley's heel turn uh, via this feud and Heyman being involved. A point for Angle nearly being murdered by Big Show to become GM where he gets thrown off the balcony after WrestleMania. Uh, a point for the Mordecai hype with all the vignettes. A point for the good focus chased by Rene Dupriest targeting Cena with anger. A point for Undertaker being hyped as a special attraction. Uh, and a uh, point for Booker's super ego demoted to SmackDown. That was, of course, what drove his heel turn was that he felt like he was being demoted from the A-show and he was too big for SmackDown. And then a point for the JBL character evolution, which they really uh, worked overtime to get him established as a top player in a brand new character within like four weeks for a guy that we had been seeing on TV for almost eight years in the same same character for uh, all intents and purposes, suddenly uh, being something new. So definitely a, a big change, and they did it pretty well. Yeah, real quick on Angle <laughs> being this grumpy GM. Uh, they do the angle where Kurt gets tossed off the, mm-hmm. the ledge uh, with a choke slam. I remember I was at my grandparents, and on the local news, uh, they covered, like, <laughs> Kurt Angle got tossed off the wow. ledge, and there was, like, serious concern about it. So, um I, it worked. Uh, it definitely worked. And, um, yeah, that was, that was a cool little angle. Definitely now looking back on it, you can see it's definitely cooked up. But and got the time. It was executed pretty well. But let's get into the minuses. Uh, Tori and Dawn picking up their feud, but pretty much like Al Wilson uh, never existed uh, in that whole feud. Uh, and then the fired step being added the last second. Not sure if they really needed that. Tough guy Holly doesn't want the gay guy near him. Uh, again, that was tough to watch and see. The Cruiserweight title being treated like a comedy belt. Hokey Supernatural Booker stuff uh, with no taker there to help add to the build. Instead of sick, uh, sticking with big-time book. Like, they're right. really onto something there with Booker T, uh, you know, raising his game and, and kind of being like a franchise player of SmackDown. And instead, they really leaned into the sports entertainment aspect of uh, mm-hmm. Booker T's character. Uh, the rush JBL main event push completely out of nowhere and Eddie's mom having the shoot heart attack. All right. So that nets out to a one, uh, there was a lot of good build, but a lot of bad too. So kind of a weird show with, with a ton of build behind it. Uh, commentary Cole and Taz, who you and I are both fans of, uh, effortlessly weaving in stories to matches, a point for them, a point for Luther Reigns, which always gets a good pop. <laughs> <laughs> a point for Cole and Taz working hard to get over Mordecai. They did a nice job with it. A point to Taz uh, playing up uh, Rico's antics as smart mind games. Kind of sways the presentation of it, right? Whereas yeah. if you picture King in that role, how different oh, it would have been. Right? So, a uh, point for Cole saying, I thought Billy was the rodeo cowboy when Rico rides him like a horse. That was funny. A <laughs> uh, point for Cole and Taz working to legitimize Jacqueline. Uh, a point for angry Michael Cole fired up over Dupree's war comments, as usual, war journalist uh, side coming up there. A uh, point for the French tickler, as Taz gets all excited by that. <laughs> uh, and a point, too, for them getting the carnage and the insanity of the main event over. That's that's where they're one of the you know, real strengths were, were being able to get stuff like that over seriously during this time period. So a lot of nice commentary moments from uh, one of the more memorable duos of this time period. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to more Taz and Cole as we go along this season. 
Uh, but let's get into the minuses. Cole calls Ray a firecracker. I feel like he said that a, a bunch of times. Uh, ignoring the history of Torian Dawn. Cole gleefully says, every day is a gay one with Rico. Uh, and commentary in general about Rico, uh, which is really outside of Taz. Um, mm-hmm. It's really Cole who really sticks with, uh, you know, amplifying the antics of Rico in a not positive manner. Cole hammers down the Undertaker is making a rare appearance. I mean, he must say that at least uh, 10 awesome. times. Um uh, a little heavy-handed with the Frenchman becoming U.S. champion. Again, that's I, I know Taz said it a couple times. Uh, it really felt like it was Vince straight in his ear, you know, right. talk about the Frenchman being U.S. champion. But Cole's really heavy with it, too. Um, like, oh, what would it mean if a Frenchman became U.S. champion? Like, I, I don't know. A French guy would have the U.S. title. Like, <laughs> we'd still have SmackDown on Thursday. Like, it's right. just, it's just such is life. But uh, that's it for the minuses. All right, so then that's out to a three for commentary, so pretty good there. Uh, for positives for atmosphere, we have a point for the graveyard set, which looked really good, uh, a point for the big pop between Ray, uh, for Ray and RVD, a point for the heat on GM Kurt Angle, uh, a point for the crowd really being game, like they're trying to get into this parade of slot matches we get in the middle of the card, uh, a point for the groundswell of Cena, you can feel it building, the crowd is into him and his rap, a point for Taker's entrance, a point for Paul, uh, I'm sorry, that along with Paul Baratow, same point there. A point for the initial crowd reaction to Eddie bleeding. You mentioned that earlier. Uh, a point for the crowds, uh, you know, being awesome during the post-match beatdown, and then also point for LA getting announced during this as the venue for WrestleMania 21. So that added mm-hmm. some good buzz. Yeah, that was definitely a, a big moment. I remember that being the uh, the big hullabaloo. Uh, Josh Matthews looking like a boy band reject. Just mm-hmm. everything about him, the the little wrist gauntlets, the hair, the shirts, uh, everything. Very boy bandish. Uh, crowd checks out right away on uh, touring Dawn. Doesn't really give them a chance. Silence for Mordecai's big debut. And the crowd not being happy with uh, the Eddie DQ, uh, right. which is by design. But, you know, for a pay-per-view, for a finish, uh, it's a tough sell for a crowd. All right, so that's a, a good strong five, though, for atmosphere. So, so far, these old four atmospheres are, are checking in. These crowds are into it. Notable moments, a point for uh, Angle's promo shitting on Los Angeles, taking the dig at Kobe's trial uh, as the Lakers get smoked by the Pistons 4-1 in the finals. So, Angle sure goes did. in on them. <laughs> uh, a point for the Mordecai debut, a point for Chavo winning the Cruiserweight title, a point for the JBL chair shot. Actually, two points for the JBL chair shot and the all-time blade job. That was, you know, just memorable, sick stuff. A uh, point for JBL feeling like a threat by the end of the show, so they elevate him well. Uh, and a point by Eddie's post-match chair shots. Because JBL, forget, forgettingly enough, bleeds a shitload, too. Yeah. When Eddie just destroys him with those chair shots post-match. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both men definitely love the business, you could say. Uh, in the minus column, we got Jackie giving Chavo panties. And Cole giggles uh, while Classic examines him, which I, I that was the part that really uh, made this a negative for me, really, was was Cole's reaction. Um, and then, uh, of course, Holly and Gunn, both being homophobes, uh, you know, that wasn't needed to uh, to sell that tag match. Agreed. But that said, a lot of uh, pretty good moments and not a lot of bad ones on this show. Uh Maybe a sneaky little memorable show here. So five points for ma- for notable moments. Uh, three points for match grades like we talked about. Card structure, we gave a point for opening with the hot tag match with the stars. 
and a point for ending with the big three matches as we build up to uh, that you know card build feel. Yep, and for the minuses, uh, once you get past the hot opener, um, <laughs> it is is an express line uh, of junk. Um, it's it's a lot being thrown your way, and none of it really sticks to the wall. Um, lack of depth of the SmackDown roster is on full display, and uh, it's hard to really balance the card. So, I, mean, I think ultimately they did the best they could with the hot mm-hmm. opener, and then stacking. You know, the big three matches at the end, but that yep. middle section uh, is, is a rough watch. For sure. All right, so then that's up to a zero. That all washes out, uh, which honestly isn't the worst thing. You probably expect worse with the show when you think of a DQ finish in the main event, plus all these weird matches up and down the card. Uh, the zero is probably pretty solid. Rewatchability gave a point for Dawn Marie's uh, backside. Looking uh, really good in those ripped pants, so point for that. A point for Chavo Classics Antics. I could watch them all day at ringside. <laughs> um, and then a point for JBL, saying if she dies, she dies. Uh, about Eddie's mom, channeling the uh, great Ivan Drag- uh, Von Drag- Ivan? Ivan? Ivan Drago. Um, so two points uh, there for rewatchability, because we only had one minus, which was? Mordecai's debut. Mm-hmm. And then an all-time match. We had one there for JBL and Eddie, so a point for that as well. So then that's us out to a total score, Marcus, of 20. So a pretty good wow. showing uh, for this show. I would not have come in. This is one of the more shocking ones to me, honestly, because I always remember this being on the lesser side as a show, uh, especially these solo SmackDown outings. Uh, so it surprised me. But I, watching it, I actually enjoyed it like a decent amount. It was uh, it moved along. The moments stood out again. We had a couple of bad matches, but they were kept quick. I like Cole and Taz on commentary. The crowd was super hot. So there was a lot to get into on this show. Yeah, and we're really in – I know we covered um, uh, 20, 2011, 2012 season mm-hmm. and the brand split's kind of a thing, but then at the end, not really. Um, this season, we've got the brand split full on. Um, right. So what stuck out to me was like it felt like a competition. It, it felt like – Raw had their punch in, in April, and SmackDown is able to respond in May. And even with the depleted roster that SmackDown has to work with and the lack of star power, or at least established star power at the top, uh, I mean, they kept pace with the Raw show. Uh, you know, just, you know, three-quarter war behind Backlash. Impressive outing for SmackDown. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, echo that. So it'll be interesting to see how 04 really continues to play out. Like, does those memories of the shows being a little shakier come back into reality? Or was it just one of those things where we didn't really appreciate maybe as much in the moment as what we had? So we'll see how the rest of the year plays out. So these shows both finished inside our top 15. Do you want to just read off our top 15? Uh, yes, I believe that starts with Survivor Series 2011. It does. That is our number 15 show. Our number 14 show is this one, Judgment Day 2004, our 14th best show so far, uh, based on our formula at 20 points, just below these two NXTs, Marcus. Yeah, NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool with a 20.25. And tied with that was TakeOver Phoenix at 20.25 as well. Next up, we've got, as we talked about, Backlash 2004 with a 20.75. And uh, crazy to me that those four right there are like so bunched together. Judgment Day through Backlash with those two NXTs in between them is is pretty wild. Uh, Above that, we have the UK Championship Tournament 2018 Night 1 at 21.75. 
NXT TakeOver Chicago 2 with 22.5. And number 8 is No Way Out 2000 at 22.5. The SummerSlam 2011 with a 23. Uh, our number 6 show, Fully Loaded 1999, 26.25. NXT TakeOver War Games 2 with a 26.5. NXT TakeOver New York, 28.25. The Royal Rumble, 2000, with a 28.5. Our second show ever, Money in the Bank, 2011, at 28.75. And our number one show so far, The SummerSlam, 1999, highly controversial, at a 38.25. And in total, we have ranked so far 43 pay-per-view events, so pretty good list now it's starting to take some real shape i think you can see again like where the lines are going to be drawn and that SummerSlam feels like a complete outlier right now so you really start to wonder mm-hmm. like are the top shows going to be more in the upper 20s um and that that close to 40 on the SummerSlam is really just whatever <laughs> just kind of a big outlier uh in the upper echelon is really going to be maybe like looking at it to me right now that jumps out it feels like 26 is the cut point to like the elite mm-hmm. and then you kind of have this next tier where we have a pretty big bunch between like 20 and 23 that's that next big gap and then you kind of have the i think these mid teens are like the mid-level shows and then once you get into the low teens into the lower grades it's like the the rough stuff so seems like it started to take shape that way anyway to me yeah, absolutely, and I'm really excited about the infusion of variety. Uh, mm-hmm. We're really seeing shows from 99, from the early part of the, the 10s, from the Attitude Era, NXT. Like Now to be able to throw in some Ruthless Aggression Era, uh, I'm really excited to, to see where they rank and where they stack up uh, compared to a work rate heavy era, compared to a, the reality era, compared to the Attitude Era. Um, you know, compared to to uh, early rock and wrestling, uh, so excited about the variety that uh, 2004, 2005 is going to add, and uh, can't wait to cover our next shows. Yeah, I think what it really shows, honestly, is the uh, these shows are heavily carried by moments and just how much effort and time is put into stuff like build. How much the crowd helps of the atmosphere, commentary, but then how much is offset by bad, right? Like they can compile a ton of those, but with this compiling on both sides is where the shows really start to get hurt toward the middle. Mm. Um, it's the shows that compile these big moments uh, without the bad, which is, I think is something like Judgment Day and Backlash we just talked about. It had a lot of positives, much less negatives, and that just kind of let it incrementally build up and build up. And it didn't over deliver in the match area, but it was just enough. Like. You know, it was it was a positive match grades, and and on top of it, it's piled on some moments and some hot crowds. So we'll see if it continues through the season. We'll be back in two weeks with the uh, continuation of it, the next two shows. Until then, continue to live your life above replacement level, and we'll talk to you soon. In the club looking so conspicuous And wow, these women all on the prowl If you hold the head steady, I'ma melt the cow And forget about game, I'ma spit the truth I won't stop till I get them in their birthday suit So give me the rhythm and it'll be off with they clothes Then bend over to the front and touch your toes I left the jag and I took the rolls If they ain't cutting, then I put them on foot patrol How you like
like me now When my piggy's valued over 300,000 Let's drink, you the one to please Ludacris fill cups like double D's Me and Ursh once more when we leave them dead We want a lady in the street